Warning. While Stephanie Meyer may have written Twilight for children and young adults, Twilight, a literary podcast, contains adult content. If that kind of stuff isn't your speed, feel free to stop here. Everyone else, please sit back and enjoy our explicit podcast. Welcome, one and all, to Twilight, a literary deep dive into the blood-sucking skin sparkling world of Twilight. From a lifelong fan. And a first-time reader, join us as we try to answer the question, Does Does it it suck? I am Jessica, and uh, mine's Spencer. Is, yeah, you're Spencer. That's me. Hi. Hello. So, elephant in the room, what obviously. Well, there's been a bit of a controversy brewing in uh, the Twilight community, as oh. it is. Uh, it's a couple weeks old now, but I just tension's been kind of building, and I feel like I need to address it. Um, what, what we're getting that? a lot of pushback on our take on gin, <laughs> and I just wanted to clarify: drinking gin is not problematic. If no. you are a gin guy, specifically a guy, I know that sounds sexist, but I just just how I feel. Yeah, how we feel. Yeah, a gin guy, I don't trust. Right, right. If, if you're you sipping are, gin straight, right. Mm-mm. If you are drinking a gin and tonic, that's fine. That's fine. If a you have malaria, that's popular. fine. But if you're just drinking gin, if you're a gin, if a gin is your identity, I, I, no. I don't trust you. No, I do stand by my take on Switzerland. Okay. All right. Well, they did nothing. Well, um, what have, what have we got going on today? What is this? This is is this a podcast? Is this a podcast? Oh my god, it's a podcast. About Twilight. Am I Mark Marin? Where? Wow. Are we? It is, in fact, a podcast about Twilight and Eclipse, to be specific. Well, Eclipse of the Twilight series, correct, as it were. And we often begin this podcast. Some would say we always begin this podcast. With a chapter summary. And this week's chapters, that's right, folks, it's 12. You got 13. You got 14. And we're covering all three. And we're starting with 12. Here we go from the top. <laughs> we're doing it rap now. No, we're not. We're rap, rap summaries. We are absolutely not. It's like that project in high school where you had to uh, memorize the Emancipation. Or no, not the Emancipation Proclamation. The uh, Gettysburg Address. Oh. Or the preamble to the uh, Declaration of Independence. Independence. Okay, I'm already bored with this conversation. Wow, okay. You didn't even let me get to my point. Chapter 12, Time. I have foreseen, Alice begins in an ominous voice. But unfortunately, her prediction is cut off by a swift elbow jab from Edward. Alice begins again, this time in a more normal tone. I I love that. That is fun. (laughs) Alice is fun. Alice tells Bella that she is going to be throwing her a graduation party, but she predicted, which I don't even think you need powers to predict no, this, absolutely not. that Bella would freak out if they surprised her again with a party. So she is now warning her. She also thanks Bella for the gift that she's going to get her. Love that. Her knowing what it is, Bella still not knowing what she's going to get her. <laughs> uh, but then this leads to Bella realizing that it is already June 4th. 
graduation. Are, why are they graduating so fucking late? That's what I was wondering. I was like, do I not remember? Well, first off, June 4th means that graduation and therefore her transformation are only a week away. But yeah, like school didn't didn't end that late, did it? In June, it's wild. I I guess it did. I, I guess it did in the beginning of June. In like May for me, I feel. I feel like, like I feel like it did go to like June. I did graduate around June six. I feel. Like, I think I graduated to June six in twenty thirteen. I feel like the school semester would end on like June fourth. Like it wouldn't be like a week left in June. Mm. Maybe they start in like September in the books. I don't remember when she semester starts. Probably September or something. Because we start in August. But anyways. Regional uh, school calendars aside, with her transformation only a week away, Bella is not ready. Duh. Wow. Homegirl. Duh. Re- after all that shit you've been saying, you're not even ready? You didn't even think about it? Well, later at the Cullen home, Edward notices Bella's distress and asks her what's wrong. She admits that the date took her by surprise. There was only a week left, and she still didn't know what she was going to say to Daddy Swan or even her friends. Edward reminds her that she doesn't have to go through with anything until she's ready. But with the threat of Victoria, the Volturi, and now this mystery vampire, Bella doesn't feel like she has a choice. Edward promises to keep her safe and won't allow her to be forced into her transformation. Weekly... Bella asks, what is she going to get Alice for a gift? Uh, Edward sets its tickets to a concert in Tacoma. And God yeah. damn it, I tried searching up who, what band what, yeah, it, was it supposed is, to be. but I couldn't find anything. I'm surprised. That seems like one of those things Meyer would actually reveal. Because yeah. it also mentions that it was a CD, that she got the tickets because it was a CD that uh, which uh, for our younger viewers is uh, stands for compact disc. Uh, we used to listen to music on them. Uh, but there's a CD Edward liked, and she got in tickets to that band. So I figured with both of those mentions, Meyer would have like something Park. in mind. It's probably Lincoln Park. That's it's... that's my guess. But uh, if any of our listeners know this bit of trivia, you know, yeah, send me a little message. Yeah, Lincoln Park, the. Uh, the band that revived music, according to Edward. Listen. Still the worst take in the series. And I'm including imprinting on a two-year-old. I love Linkin Park. Don't you I do, too. It's not that it's not Linkin Park. It's that Edward's claim that there was no good music from, like, what, the 60s to the, through the 90s? Okay. No, I do agree that he um, has some bad takes. Yeah. That's the worst one. Any hoozle. Any hoozle. Bella leans into Edward's chest and asks why he doesn't want her to become a vampire. I feel like we've been over this before, Bella. Yeah, we've really talked about this for a long time. But anyways, uh, he explains, again, his fears of her losing her soul. Which is sweet. Which is sweet, because he doesn't really believe vampires have souls. But wasn't that kind of a resolution in the last book? No. But whatever. Anyways, he, of course, wants to be with her forever. But for that very reason, turning her feels like a selfish act. Mm -hmm. If he could, he would pay any price in the world to turn himself into a human instead. This is such a stupid line from Bella. Uh And Bella responds, so it's not because you won't like me as much when I'm different? Bella asks dumbly. I mean, she's got some insecurities, and I would kind of feel like, is it because he doesn't want me? Or some kind of, right. like, if if you were like, no, I don't want to change you into a vampire so that we can live forever together. It's just, I want he you just to explained exactly why he doesn't want to turn her. No, and I we've know, also had this conversation several times. I would probably still have those insecurities. Well, she shouldn't. 
She's <laughs> wrong for failing that. <laughs> Edward laughs and tells her it would actually be much easier if she was a vampire. Then he wouldn't have to constantly worry about killing her with sex. Or literally anything else. Or just her tripping. Yeah. <laughs> she hasn't fallen in this book, I don't no. think. No. She's well, really, she hasn't really done a lot of outdoorsy she, things, really. That's well, yeah. She went camping. Did she? Or when she went to the bonfire party and stuff. Uh, yeah, I guess not like last book. Maybe she got like medication for her vertigo, but it was like off screen. It got cut. Edward then asks her a question: Why doesn't she want to marry him? Embarrassed, Bella admits that she just isn't that girl. She doesn't want to be like some, quote, small town hick who got knocked up by her boyfriend. It's a bit judgmental by there, Bella. I mean. <laughs> kind of stereotyping a bit. It is a little bit of stereotyping. From someone who lives in Forks. Like, it's fine, Bella, if that's not what you want for yourself. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to like. Put you just, down you didn't have people. to say small town hick. Yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> she explains that in this century, people don't just go and get married at 18. Edward understands her apprehension, but explains that he's always been that guy. So a weird thing, uh, this is probably we can cut this because it's probably not as interesting to anyone else. But me and my friends, we used to like have like an inside joke in high school. We call someone's like being that guy with being oh. like obnoxious or oh, yeah. trying too hard, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, they're being that guy. But when we went on a trip to New York, uh, we were just walking down some random street. I don't know what we were doing, but this guy was walking across the street and his friend, he was, like, in a huff, like, clearly, like, frustratedly walking fast. And the guy was, like, trailing behind him. These guys are both in, like, their 20s. The guy's like, Chad, stop it. You're being an idiot. And then uh, the Chad he turns around. He's got a big overcoat on. He opens it up. He's clothed. <laughs> There's nothing under it. But he just opens it up. And he goes, idiot. And then keeps walking. And so from then on, if instead of saying that guy, we called someone a Chad. <laughs> wow. But this was before Chad meant, like, douchey macho guy. Right. Like, alpha That's male so type. Funny. So, like, we had to retire the phrase when, like, Chad became a thing because we came up with our own that guy, Boo. Chad thing. So I always think of that every time I hear Chad. That's so why going, incels <laughs> are not fun. They take fun things away. In his world, he was already considered a man at 17. Yeah, he was. If it wasn't for the war, he would have proposed as soon as he fell in love with someone. Also, the uh, the Spanish flu kind of got in the way there at the I end. I mean, but regardless, that was just the way the world was for him. Which is fair. Yeah. I think if that's Bella's argument is that her time, they don't do that. I think that's fair for Edward to be like, well, that's, like, well my, yeah, but like, that's my value system. Yeah. And uh, I didn't write it in here, but Edward also points out that like, hey, Bella, if you want to be like an immortal vampire, maybe you shouldn't be so hung up on um, like just the norms of right. the times. Like fucking pick your battles. Right. Honey. Right. She does. Uh, Bella does say at some point, though, that she thinks her mom would react better her like if assuming her mom like believed her renee would act, react better saying she was a vampire than saying she was getting married at 18 <laughs> which i actually believe <laughs> i think that's true yeah the next morning bella opens the paper to find yet another story on the continuing murder spree in seattle 39 people have now been killed and the police are no closer to capturing the culprit the kills appear random with victims not being related by age sex race or any other factor However, the killer's methods are strikingly consistent. Every victim has been found completely burned down to their bones and left out with no attempt at concealment. Many of the bodies show signs of severe violence. Bones broken, snapped by tremendous pressure. 
which were believed to have occurred prior to time of death. Not what you Yikes. want. Yikes. This is like Ouch. a nightmare. This is like true horror. 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 It really is. I like how Meyer, uh, in the, the little article, it starts with like uh, talking about uh, Dean Coral, the oh. killer, killer oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. green. The... No, not Dean Coral. Dean Coral no, is. No, Dean Coral's ours. Ours. Um, but yeah, the a- Ed green, Kemper. green River Killer. Yeah. I, I don't know Kemper. who it is. Fuck. Oh, Gary Widgeway. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's so many killers. But I like how the the fake article like talks about like here's how many people Gary Ridgeway killed. He was like one of the most prolific serial killers ever. Right. We've like doubled that, so I know. Uh, we're fucked. Well, that's that's actually okay. So I I should probably say I don't know if I said this yet, but Eclipse is not is like the one that I've read the least. I think. I think you have mentioned that, yeah. Um. That and the the one section of New Moon you yes, never touch. Yes. Um. But. So one of the things that I noticed, like in my latest reread, mm-hmm. that I recognized that mm-hmm. Gary Ridgeway and the Green River Killer. Yeah, I think it's trying to turn it into like a true crime feel. Yeah, like you're trying to feel that same hysteria yeah. of. Um... I was definitely not into true crime though. Whenever I was uh, like first read this. Yeah, no, it's weird. Like I only like it's only recently. I know we couldn't remember the name, but like I remember when Gary Ridgway came up, I was like, "Oh yeah, I know oh, yeah, that guy." Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. cuz we just know so much about serial killers nowadays. Right. <laughs> Despite the vast number of killings, not a single piece of evidence has been recovered from any of the bodies. Even worse, the killer is ramping up. 17 killings occurred over the first 2 months, and in the last 10 days, 22 have occurred. That's That's more. That's awful. That's worse. I would say. Bella stares... Not tra- getting better. Bella stares trance-like at the story, rereading the final lines until Edward snaps her out of it. His face creases into a frown upon seeing the news. The situation was getting worse, and strangely, Alice has been unable to see anything with the killer. Alice has been missing things more than usual and was starting to lose her confidence. Bella asks if vampires can just lose their powers, but... Edward doesn't know for sure. Most powers intensify as vampires age. Just look at Aro and Jane, for example. Uh, But no one knows for sure how they really work. Edward then asks Bella how she'd feel about skipping school. Which, hell yeah. Yeah, girl. Get it. Gary Ridgway's still alive. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, me neither. You just reading up on him while I was talking? He's got a weird face. Look at his face. He looks like a serial killer. Mm, he does. He looks so he's grumpy. like your token serial killer. Yeah, he's got the weird mustache. He's got kind of like the Hitler haircut. Uh huh. Uh huh. It like uh, too really flat. reminds me of like the vibes of who was it that Adam Sandberg when he was like the creep. Adam. Sa- oh, Andy Sandberg. Andy, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, the creepy. Yeah, very, very those very vibes. vibes. Sorry, very <laughs> Gary vibes. Sorry, whoever's editing, you can cut that. <laughs> I love you, whoever's editing. Ooh. I hope it's me editing. I hope it's me. <laughs> the two go to the Cullen home where they find Carlisle, Esme, and Jasper intensely watching the news. And I like the little touch uh, Meyer adds saying that they keep they were playing the volume so low that like, right. Bella couldn't the hear Bella, it. Yeah. But they, it's probably normal for them, but... Yeah, just to kind of like have it as a background, but not like in the forefront. But they can and hear they can it because they're hearing it very better. clearly. Yeah, yeah. So, right. I don't know, it's a cute little touch. Alice sat on the stairs with her head in her hands, looking discouraged. Meanwhile, Emmett walked around unfazed because nothing ever really bothers Emmett. Love him. Family debates on what they should do about the Seattle killer. Then Edward stops and looks at Jasper. You're right. That has to be it. Well, that changes everything. 
<laughs> the rest of the family. Me, that's so annoying. I know. I was going to say, the rest of the family, clearly annoyed, looks at Edward waiting for him to explain what he just heard in, <sighs> in Jasper's mind. So Jasper looks at Bella and he tells her it's time that she knew about his story. To which Emmett. Which I love this. Just mm-hmm. flops on the couch, exasperated, because he's probably heard this story a million times. Oh, yeah. He's no, just no, sick no, of it. I love that. And, like, actually, all the family is kind of like, oh, all right. <laughs> As another cute little touch. He holds up his wrist to reveal a small, crescent-shaped scar, just like the one Bella has from when James bit her. Then he pulls up his sleeve further to reveal more scars, nearly covering every inch of his arm. Jasper, Bella gasps. What happened to you? I think he was bit by a vampire. Okay, well, we'll talk about it. Chapter 13, Newborn. Newborn. Jasper didn't have the same upbringing as the rest of the Cullen family. He explains that in certain parts of the world, vampires' lives are nasty, brutish, and short. Places that are desirable to vampires, where they can feed without notice, are viciously fought over by rival covens. Unlike the comparably civil nomadic vampires of the north, southern vampires don't even attempt to hide their contempt for humans. Were it not for the Volturi keeping them in line, vampires would have been exposed long ago. So I'm just going to go ahead and say up top as we get into the story, uh, I don't know if racism is the right word, but there's definitely a bias against uh, southern culture. Yeah. Uh, pretty heavily implied that we're all pieces of shit down here, which I'm not saying we're not, but I'm not saying that y'all northerners are that much better. Right. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. It's a we little. get kind of dunked on a lot. Uh, yeah. Us, uh, the south, especially Texas. Texas right. takes a beating in the... For anyone who doesn't know, we are we live in Houston, Texas. Um, yes, begrudgingly, but H down. But we can talk shit about Texas, right? Y'all you can't. can't. <laughs> Y'all can't, babe. That's our right. culture. Don't you fucking okay. say you. Right. If you ever say you guys, I'm breaking up with you. Okay. All right. <laughs> One vampire in particular, Benito. Get it? Like Benito Mussolini. Oh. That's what I assume that came from. Uh. Benito developed by far the most effective tactic for taking out his enemies. Coming from Dallas, Benito quickly dispatched the two covens in control of Houston, which uh, the survivor of these two colons actually went on to found rival breweries named after their leaders in Houston. Uh, One, Andrew Carbach, Mm -mm. founded Carbach, and the St. Arnold, who was actually canonically a vampire, and his his special vampiric ability is that he could continue to get drunk even after turning into a vampire. Okay, okay. And he used that ability to found uh, St. Arnold's Brewery. This is very extended. <laughs> Evelyn's going to love that bit. Yeah, she will. No one else will, but we're keeping it in. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know, those are two uh, local Houston breweries. Yeah. Uh, oh, Yeah doing it for people (laughs) and within a few days of taking over houston he had conquered most of northern mexico as well the secret to his success was the creation of an army of newborn vampires newborns are incredibly powerful but also extremely volatile and almost impossible to control the newborns would often turn on one another requiring benito to constantly create more of them However, covens in southern Mexico soon caught on to Benito's strategy and created armies of their own. The fighting turned Mexico into hell on earth. 
The death toll for humans became so high that historians now blame disease for the massive population slump. Do you know what does like? I couldn't figure out what plague. I couldn't if, figure. There out had to be like. An, I figured there was one, but I wasn't sure on like the timeline we're working with. Exactly. Because Jasper's in like 1860s because of the Civil War, but like this seems like it took place Actually, quite a time on. before. I can look up a timeline. Okay, so here's the timeline. Um, in the 1820s, the first army of newborns was created by Benito, and that's when the Southern Wars began. And then in the ni- 1830s is when the death toll from the Southern Wars reaches epidemic proportion. So what happened in the 1830s? Uh, looks like it would be the second cholera pandemic from Ooh. 1826 to 1837, also known as the Asiatic cholera pandemic. Was a cholera pandemic? Nope, that's not in America. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. Is it in Southern America? Uh, reached fr- from India across e- Western Asia to Europe, Great Britain, and the Americas, as well as East to China and Japan. Cholera. Oh, wow. wow. Wow, that's extensive. Finally, the Volturi stepped in wiping out every newborn in the bottom half of North America, along with any vampire found harboring one. However, once the Volturi left, the survivors immediately looked to reclaim their territory, and disputes quickly began again. In order to avoid the wrath of the Volturi, the Covens were more careful this time about the humans they selected to turn. This is when Jasper was changed. Living in Houston, Texas, shout out to H-Town again, Mm. Jasper left home to join the Confederate Army at just 17 years old. A bit of an oof there, but you know. Yeah. He grew up, he was in Texas, what are you going to do? He lied about his age, though. Well, I'm more worried about the joining the Confederate Army part. Oh, oh, right. (laughs) Duh. I don't really care about him lying about his age. Yeah, he's a a little problematic. His military career was short, but quite promising. Despite his young age, his his fellow soldiers seemed drawn to him and listened to what he had to say. Quickly, he rose to the rank of captain and was placed in charge of evacuating women and children from the coastal city of Galveston. Late at night, on the way to escort another group of civilians from the city, Jasper encountered three mysterious women. Jasper went over to help the women, and upon seeing their faces, he saw that they were all pale-skinned and unnaturally beautiful. Even the Mexican. That's what the book kind of says. It's not that. Yeah. But it was like, one was clearly Mexican, but still pale. Yeah. Like, That's a little weird. Yeah. They said like she had like an olive tone. They said that before with the vo- in the Italia. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Three young women. Maria, Lucy, and Nettie. Nettie. I know. That's my sister's name. Sister. sister sucks. She fucking turned Jasper. Anyways, um, excitedly, they discussed his qualities like he was a prized pig at a stock show. The brunette of the group, Maria, seemed to be in charge of the others. She sent them away and stepped closer to Jasper. I truly hope you survive, Jasper. I truly hope you survive, Jasper. I truly hope you survive, Jasper. She tells him in a gentle voice. I have a good feeling about you. And this war. She's definitely Mexican, so she would be saying that in the Spanish or Mexican accent. Like Rosalie, Jasper skips over the worst part of the story. He starts back a few days later when he was introduced to his new supernatural life. The three women had banded together out of convenience. They were creating an army to reclaim lost territories and expand their hunting grounds. Careful not to raise suspicion, they carefully chose humans who seemed to possess special qualities, and they saw something very special in Jasper. 
because he was the most racist officer in the army. I doubt that. (laughs) They taught him to fight and how to make himself invisible to humans. The coven soon grew to include ten newborns, but Jasper proved to be the most skilled fighter and was soon placed in charge of the others. His powers, though they did not know their exact nature, helped temper the other vampires' emotions, allowing them to work more effectively as a team. You know what I just thought? That, um, that the South will rise uh, again? That in true blood, take a drink, um, we also have a Confederate soldier. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Bill. Yeah. I forgot Bill is a Confederate soldier. Bill is a contemporary to Jasper. Wow. 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 You heard it here first, folks. Wow, you heard it here first, folks. And you know what else? (laughs) We're announcing it. Next podcast series. It's true blood lit. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. We're just adding a lit to whatever we do next at the end. (laughs) Doesn't matter how far it is. Maria became very fond of Jasper. And he, in turn, worshipped the ground she walked on. He managed to gather for her a small army of newborns, powerful and more organized than had ever been seen before. They marched down to Monterey, Maria's former home, and retook the city without attracting any notice. Within a year, she expanded her control to most of Texas and northern Mexico. Can I get a yeehaw? But her success made them a target. After that first year, only Jasper had survived from the original army. Even Lucy and Nettie had turned on Maria, though they were unsuccessful. I never trusted Nettie, your (laughs) sister or this character. (laughs) The fighting continued in an endless cycle of violence. The relentless fighting left Jasper feeling sick, and decades after his transformation, he developed a bond with one of the newborns. Hmm. His name was Peter. Oh. And unlike the others, he didn't seem to enjoy fighting, despite his talents for it. And then after a year, when it was time to purge the newborns, having lost most of their unique power, Mm -hmm. Jasper and Peter were tasked with killing the newborns one by one. Peter was clearly hesitant, and when a female newborn named Charlotte... Charlotte. Agree, disagree. When a female newborn named Charlotte came in, Jasper figured out why. Peter told her to run, and then he chased after her. Jasper knew he should and could catch them, but something inside him stopped him. Maria was angry and confused by Jasper's deteriorating state of mind, having herself never felt a moment of depression in her life. Yeah, can you imagine at this time, Jasper is feeling the emotions of every single vampire he's killing. Yeah, we'll get into that a little more later with the what we learned. Um, but yeah, basically, Jasper his powers are to manipulate others emotions or to kind of put a kind of more suggest others emotions mm-hmm. be more like kind of can manipulate you can but... manipulate them but he can't but i feel like he can't like outright change them i think he can kind of just move them to a direction i don't know maybe i'm overthinking it but so he's like feeling others emotions super intensely as yes. well he's yeah, because in order in, to manipulate your mood, he has to know your he, can he has feel to, your yeah, mood. Yeah, right. So he's just like incredibly empathetic. Yeah. Um. I, I later I kind of compare it to how Edward can just hear every. Sorry, I'm scassy today. Every, he can hear like everyone's thoughts constantly, and you have to kind of learn to control yeah, how you who exactly. You feel. But yeah, good point, babe. So five years later, Peter returned for Jasper telling him about the wonderful life he and Charlotte had made for themselves. Can I just make a weird point? I I really like 
this may be dumb and maybe we'll cut this, but I like how Meyer in these like historical backstories, she gives like these longer gaps of time, Mm -hmm. which I hate in like a lot of fiction where it's like everything's happened all at once. But I kind of like like, what was five years before Peter ever came back? Yeah. Because that makes sense in the world of vampires. Like things happen on a much longer time scale. Like it's not going to all happen at once. So I don't know. I just and I guess she also has to catch him up to the modern day. So she has to space out the time. But I don't know. I always thought that was interesting. I thought it was interesting with the Quileats too. Like. Mm -hmm. The first spirit leader that they talk about wasn't, like, the main one that goes into becoming the wolf. Because yeah. that's not how it usually happens. It's, like, different people. I don't know. It's a weird thing, but it, her histories feel pretty realistic right? Uh, for being about vampires and werewolves and stuff. But mm-hmm. just little touches like that I really appreciate as, like, a, a world-building uh, thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Jasper was convinced to leave, but he knew it would mean killing Maria. He'd been her companion for as many years as Carlisle had been with Edward, but bonds of blood and violence are tenuous and fleeting. He walked away without a second glance. For a few years, he traveled with Peter and Charlotte, enjoying his newfound freedom. But without battles to fight, his humanity slowly returned, and the pain he'd caused others began to weigh heavily on him. His depression worsened, and he wandered alone, burdened by his need to kill. Until one day, he wandered into a half-empty diner in Philadelphia, where he was greeted by a stranger who was expecting him. Wow. It was Rosalie. What a twist. Who would have thought? No, of course it was Alice. Also, can, can, I know they can't really consume, like, human food or drinks, but can vampires take, like, Zoloft? No. Damn, that's too bad. Yeah. Do they have a blood-brain barrier? I don't know. Interesting. Well, ask, if we ever get Meyer on this podcast, I'll ask her. I don't think she likes those types of questions. Well, <laughs> that's why she's not going to be on our podcast. <laughs> You've kept me waiting for a long time, big boy, Alice tells him. She without the big boy. Big boy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll say it right because it is really cool. It cute. Cool. Sweet. You've been keeping me waiting for a long time, Alice tells him. Mm. She held out her hand to him, and for the first time in almost a century, he felt hope. Like like the green light? She tells him about her visions of Carlisle and his family. Let's, skip to, let's stay to the script today, babe. All right? <laughs> let's not do tangents, okay, babe? The green light does represent hope. <laughs> and see, the thing about Gatsby is that he turned out all right in the end. It's what preyed on Gatsby. <laughs> <laughs> she tells him about she, Alice tells Jasper about her visions of Carlisle and his family and they go off to start their new life with them uh, I love that I didn't have a great way to summarize it but I loved uh, Edward and the family being like they scared the shit out of us yeah they just show up Alice <laughs> well, who's all she bubbly she had to do it strategically right because yes. if she showed up with everyone there shit wouldn't have gone down well they, yes. they waited till what, Edward and Emmett were gone. We're, got, we're out hunting. It shows up, knows everyone's name, knows everything about them. Shows up with this, like, weird, like, stringy, like, strung out, like, battle-hardened covered dude. Covered in scars. Just covered in, obviously, vampire scars. Yeah. They're like, we're here to join the family. Like, <laughs> Takes like it's... Edward's room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that part. She takes Edward's room. <laughs> it's like the Manson family. It's just, like, wild. Just, like, yeah. people just showing up. <laughs> that cracks me up. Jasper tells the family, we're now back in the house. Flashback over. 
Jasper tells them that there must be an army of newborns in Seattle, though he can't figure out why someone would have created one. It would only be a matter of time before the Volturi stepped in unless they did something about it first. Edward points out that the army may have been created to fight them, the family being the biggest threat in the area. I mean, that's pretty smart. Well, because they kind of established now that the northern area is more nomadic. You're you're looking at much smaller groups. Yeah, it's very odd that they hold the permanent residence. Yeah, and especially one like like theirs. Like, I imagine a lot of vampires would be very skeptical of, like, this is a group, but they're not, like, hunting. It's not like a regular coven. They're kind of living like a family. Like, what's their game? What are they trying to accomplish here? Right, right. Alice says she's been seeing flickers of a future, but not enough to get a clear picture. Oh, no, 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 I got it. It could be an indecision, or whoever was in charge of the army was purposefully hiding their plans. Rosalie suggests that the army may be a favor to the Volturi. Maybe someone from the south, someone who's broken the rules in the past, is trying to get back in their good graces. Edward agrees, adding that he saw jealousy in Aro's mind when they met. Jealousy and fear that Carlisle will continue to grow his family. Can I just say it was really hard to summarize these like couple pages because all it was was people like suggesting ideas. And I just had to keep, keep finding ways to say someone suggested this idea, but like oh, yeah. not say that over and over. Because <laughs> all it was was like, Esme has this point. And then Edward says, well, maybe this point. And it's just like, it was really hard to like make that flow well. So Right, right. <laughs> just, I think you did well. One of those weird things, challenges I never expected was to like, with doing these summaries, mm-hmm. doing like the historical, like back, like the narratives of like the Quileutes and that those are easy to summarize because I'm like, this happened, this happened, this happened. Right. It's when everyone's just talking back and forth and You're I'm like, like, I can't oh, just shit. quote it. And I'm like, yeah. anyways, Jasper though still thinks it's, It's a first-timer, someone who doesn't know exactly what they're doing, creating this army. Whoever it is, Carlisle says that Jasper is going to have to teach the family how to fight. Hell yeah. Training would help, but they also need greater numbers, Jasper replies. He's just recruiting Tanya's family, but when Carlisle calls them, they uh, decline. Well, they would help, but only under one condition, that Carlisle would let them kill the werewolves who murdered Laurent whom they had grown close to when he was living with them. Yeah, if before he came to try and kill Bella. Yeah, weird take from the Tanya family there. Like, come on. Carlisle, of course, being Carlisle, would never accept such condition, breaking the treaty and letting, you know, I would say innocent people die. Right. I would say the werewolves are pretty, were pretty just in what they did. Absolutely. Uh, so it's going to be up to the Colin family alone face this new enemy or is it we'll find out next time on do i lit the literary we podcast an, we have another chapter oh shit i was i thought we were done for the day i shouldn't have got so drunk chapter 14 declaration you can't be serious bella yells at alice despite the looming vampire war alice was still going along with her graduation party plans much to Bella's frustration. Which specifically included inviting 65 people. That's like the entire graduating class. Yeah. And none of the, the, the werewolves either. So like not Jacob right. and all that. So like that's way more than any, the amount of people that Bella knows. Right. Also, how cute is that they had a graduating class of like less than 100? I know. It's adorable. Moving back to more important matters. Bella asks Edward what they need to do to prepare for the upcoming fight. 
He says they're still looking for others to help. Carlisle is tracking down old friends, and Jasper is looking up Peter and Charlotte. He's considering contacting Maria, but no one really wants to involve the Southerners. Harsh, but understandable. Yes. We've done a lot. Yes. <laughs> Bella asks if these friends will be, quote, vegetarians like the Colons, their name for not consuming human right, blood, if anyone doesn't remember. Animals. Yeah. Edward, which is, you know, it's kind of ironic. Uh, yeah, it is funny. Edward tells her, no, they won't be, but they're friends. They can be trusted. Which he clearly doesn't say, though, that they won't eat any people. Yeah, it's I read more through it just again. like they won't eat any people that you know. Like, they'll just <laughs> yeah. hunt in other places. They'll go up to Tacoma. Yeah. Or Seattle or something. Well, I guess not Seattle. Slim Pickens yeah, in Seattle right now. They can go to Cal- uh, Canada or something. Yeah, they should. Get, them, get those Canucks out of here. Gosh, Oh, uh, poutine. Uh. Yeah, whatever. Enjoy your health care, suckers. Babe. Just kidding. I love Canada. Please let us live there. <laughs> Along with gathering allies, they'll also have to train in taking down newborns, which Jasper has told them previously. Despite their strength, they are very predictable and easy to... Um, they're predictable and are easily distracted. So there is a way to beat the newborns. Yeah. He says they'll be going off to fight in about a week's time which sends icy splinters down Bella's spine. Oh, I didn't mean for that to rhyme. <laughs> Quietly, she adds that if they need help, then maybe she could... No, Bella. You're you, not you, being turned into a vampire yet. You Chill know out. you don't even want that, right? You you know you're not ready. Mm. Edward shuts down the idea once again as, as being a newborn, she'd be more trouble than help anyways. Right. And also, just we're not dealing with that right now, okay? Can we not deal with that right now? <laughs> Bella comes home to find a missed call and a message from Renee. Phil got hurt during practice and couldn't make it out to Bella's graduation. Bella calls her back to reassure her that it was okay. She should focus on helping Phil get better. As insane as Renee's priorities were, Bella was relieved. It meant one less person that would be put in danger because of her. Doesn't he have, like, trainers? Like, he's on a baseball team. Why does Renee need to be there? Whatever. I mean, they probably... He's in the minor leagues. No one's going to be hired to wipe his ass. Yeah, but what is Renee going to do? Wipe his ass. Oh, hot. I would stay, too. You're right. Um, Edward, who is watching the entire conversation patiently... Someone say creepily. ...tells Bella that he's going hunting after school the next day with Carlisle, Esme, and Rose. But he tells her the rest of the family will be standing by to keep her safe. Bella dreads the idea of forcing Jasper and Alice to babysit her, and for some unknown reason is particularly concerned with Emmett making fun of her. Where is this coming from? She's very preoccupied with the idea of Emmett making fun of her. Yeah, I guess he just teases her a lot. I guess, but she's like very fixated on it. And this one's like, I don't know. Feels like it comes out of nowhere. <laughs> Bella suggests that she stay in La Push instead, and Edward, after thinking it over for a moment, agrees. Then the two go off to cram for finals, which, why is she cramming for finals? She already yeah, got the Dartmouth. Yeah. She's just a uh, nerd, I guess. She doesn't really need to cram. Finally, yeah, whatever. whatever. Like, I remember, at least when we were in high school, like, you, when you were a senior, you barely had to take finals. Yeah. Like, most of them you could, t- you were yeah, like. Yeah, we were exempt. If you, yeah, you were <laughs> exempt from, but whatever. Uh, gotta do it, gotta have a plot. She takes a break from studying later to call Jacob, who is, of course, more than happy to have Bella over. Though she does notice he sounds uh, pretty tired on the phone. The next day, Edward drops her off at the treaty border, noting that Jacob is thinking particularly hard about something. Bella asks what, but he tells her, uh, Jake will let you know. 
So Bella climbs into Jacob's car. He's cheerful, but clearly exhausted. He asks what she wants to do, but seeing his haggard face, she suggests just hanging out at his place. They arrive, and Jacob practically falls onto the couch. He tells her that Billy was at the Clearwaters. He's been spending more time over there ever since Harry's passing. Jacob absentmindedly mentions there being trouble with the Clearwater kids, but stops himself before saying any more. Is that a tease? Mm. Bella asks why he's so tired, and Jacob explains that Sam has got him pulling double shifts to make sure Bella is being watched after at all times. As they talk, Bella looks over to find that Jacob had fallen asleep mid-conversation, which is kind of cute. She nestles him to the couch to wait out his nap, flipping through the channels, letting her mind wander. Bella reflects on the end of her high school education and the end of her human life that was soon to come. As much as she hated to admit it, she uh, really wasn't ready. Mm-mm. And even though she knew it didn't really matter, she wanted Edward to be the one to turn her. She was going to be poisoned. She wanted to be his venom burning through her veins. Um, She wouldn't be poisoned. That's what the book said. With venom. I know, but that's... I, I know. You're not poisoned by venom. You're venomed by venom. Still asleep, Jacob's arm swings over from behind the couch, pulling Bella into his chest. He was awake. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> it was no accident. She tried to escape his grip without waking him, but he was too strong. She shoved against his chest, waking him up. Jacob apologizes for falling asleep, but Bella's just happy to see him get some rest. They walk outside for some fresh air, and Jacob says he was actually wanting to talk to her about something. He's silent for a moment as Bella stares, nervous about what he was going to say. Bella, I love you, and I want you to pick me instead of him. I know you don't feel that way, but I need the truth out there so that you know your options. I wouldn't want a miscommunication to stand in our way, Mm. says Jacob, sadly, like a virgin. Damn. Wow, what a cliffhanger. I know. There's some shit There's that some drama. goes down the, in the next few chapters, and I can't wait. But now that we have finished our recap of these three chapters, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. And we're back. So let's go ahead and discuss our personal proclivities of this week's chapters. Spencer, what's your favorite moment? Um, favorite moment is when um, Jasper meets Alice. And he just goes yeah. into a diner and she's like, where you been, boy? I love that conclusion. It was very sweet. It was very it cute button so to that tale. Yeah, I, I kind of cheated like you did last week, and I said the fucking whole story. The whole story is yeah. interesting, right? It like, really is. Like, we, we're on like a trend now of like backstories. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, but but they're all the best parts of our our we you know the chapters we're covering every week. Yeah, I, I love it so much. And and my favorite line actually is the one that you said, but just part of it. The part where he goes, Bella, I love you, and I want you to pick me instead of him. Yeah, I, I like that one too a lot. Um, it's very honest. It is. It's very sincere, and I liked how he phrased it. Yeah. I, like, I, I want you to pick me instead of him. Like, it's so simple. It's, I, I feel like it's a choice between us, and I feel like I want you to pick me. Like, I, uh, yeah, I kind of like it. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see it 
I haven't seen a line like that before. It was very sweet. I agree. I know. I, love I didn't that. mean to talk all over you. I don't know if you had anything no, to say about that no. one. No, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. So uh, what's your favorite line? Mine is a little less uh, dramatic, but it's when uh, Bella is telling Alice, like, they can't have a party. There's so much going on. Oh, yeah. And Alice is like, of course we're having a party. A party is so appropriate, it's almost passe. <laughs> I do love that. I don't know what about that line tickles me, but it does. I just, a party is so appropriate, it's almost passe. It's just, like, Bella, how could we not have a party? It's graduation. Of course we're going to have a party. It's practically already happened. Like, yeah. it's just, like, it's redundant, almost. She's but, like, every time we fucking restart in high school, I look forward to throwing a graduation this, party. This is the best part. <laughs> this is why we do this. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've established our faves, let's go take a leisurely walk down our local manhole uh, and uh, make sure you bring a lantern as we explore the lore. You're so cute. Thank you. So what did we learn? Uh, who cares? Oh. Just kidding. No, I care. Um, Edward is uh, very easily manipulated by propaganda. You uh, know, his father was a soldier, too. Everyone was a soldier back then. You didn't have true. a choice. Yeah, but but also like you know. Yeah. That's all he had to look forward to, I guess. Yeah, my dad was a soldier. But me, I'm a literary podcaster. Who's <laughs> who's more heroic? Uh, one of the funniest things uh, my dad ever said to me what? Uh, when he came to watch me perform uh, when I was an actor at SeaWorld, mm-hmm. and uh, he watched me do a show, and he's like, "That's I can't believe you can do that." I, I could never be brave enough to do that. And I was like, Dad, you literally used to jump out of planes. You've been in combat. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just introducing a whale. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, very I, I, I well, see his point. Though. Well, debatable, but I did it. Well enough to have the job. Um, uh, so Vampire Venom, uh, we learn, and I kind of could have guessed this, but the, Jasper explains that Vampire Venom is the only thing that can leave a scar on a vampire. Which right. Which makes sense. Yeah. Which, wouldn't a werewolf? But I guess it would just grow back. I guess leaving the scar is the key. It's not do damage, but yeah. leave a scar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of talked about, but newborn vampires are incredibly powerful, but yes. hard to control, very wild. And their power comes from... Uh, we learn from their own blood. So, like, yes. when they turn, they have all their human blood still. Yeah, and so that's... They're kind of just slowly consuming it, and it, like, doubles down on their power, mm-hmm. and it lasts about a year. And then once that year's up, they kind of are normal, normal power vampires. level. Yeah. yeah. So, apparently, also, like, their eyes are, like, a vibrant, more vibrant red. Oh, okay. When you're a, a newborn, mm-hmm. and Which then it kind of, like, settles down into, like, a normal color. Right, right, right. Um, and then, uh, Edward explains that, which you could have guessed, the vampires are more powerful when the more recently they fed and human blood, it does make them, it make them stronger than just animal blood, but only marginally. Right. So it's not a huge factor. And at one point Jasper considers, considers, Hey, should we suck on some human blood before we go fight? But doesn't, though, I think he just thinks it. Because right. Edward's telling us this, and but he's not going to suggest it because Carlisle, no matter what the stakes are, is never going to, it's not worth it. Yeah. Which it shouldn't be. I like that. You know, and exactly. that's Carlisle's character. He would never. Never, never. No. Well, I'd never. <laughs> uh, 
And so we'll also talked about this, but Jasper's powers kind of go both ways equally powerfully as much as he can kind of manipulate and, and um, steer people's emotions. He is he's rece- super receptive to others emotions. So yes. he's, yeah. Like I said, I kind of compared it to how Edward can kind of just hear everyone's thoughts and right, like, it's exactly. all come, kind of coming at you. And I imagine you have to kind of learn to focus it and yeah. not be like, overwhelmed. and that's kind of the, the main reason also why he follows his lifestyle too, is, is that he it, feels the he pain doesn't... that he inflicts so much more. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was very interesting. Once he started coming down from being like intensely vampiric, like, and became, like, less violent, he started f- being more human, quote-unquote. He started feeling the pain and suffering yeah. of those that he caused in others. And he was like, oh, that was bad. Yeah. And that was very, I like that. I was, thought that was interesting. Me too. Um, Ooh, yeah, what, that's it. Well, what are your predictions? Then? I only really have one. Um, nothing I'm really predicting right now, except I did have this thought. Uh, I imagine when Bella's turned, she's going to have a power. She's going to have some kind of special power. Okay. But I think it's going to be lame. It's gonna be like she she loves a lot. <laughs> it's gonna be like that. It's gonna be like kind I of vague. I love that though. I love uh, that for her. It sucks. <laughs> I want her to shoot lasers or something. Well, we'll find out. Maybe I want she her does to like shoot punch lasers. real hard. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun though? If Bella's powers that she just punches real hard. <laughs> it, it, nothing to do with the personality. She just real. She just, she just, real, she just real good there. at punching. <laughs> She's not even strong. She's just good at punching. <laughs> no, if it did have to reflect her personality, she would just like. Oh, what would it be? How, how do you turn falling into a superpower? <laughs> God damn it! Maybe she can glide. Interesting. She can kind of slowly descend. <laughs> <laughs> well, all that we talked about before—that's stupid bullshit. Oh yeah. Because now. We're going on the real stuff. But damn, but we're getting we're getting it real good, because we we're going down the road to pretension. Vroom vroom. Hong Kong. Hong Kong vroom vroom. It's road to pretension skirt, time. Skirt. Nah, it's all straight line, baby. <laughs> no swerving on this road. It's Always the autobahn. Always forward, never straight. Always straight, never forward. Oh. But straight spelled like my last name. Oh, like George Strait. Yes. Okay. Anyways, that's right, guys. It's time. To take a journey down the road to pretension, the autobahn of knowledge, as we take a classic piece of literature and see how it compares to this week's chapters. And today, we will be covering yet another anti-war novel inspired by the horrors of the First World War, as we take a deep dive into All Quiet on the Western Front by Eric Maria Remarque. I don't know if you pronounce it, because he is German. Or was. Or is? I don't know. He's dead, but he's always but German. But is the last name German, or is it French? Mm. I haven't met him. <laughs> as ultimately pointless as most wars are, World War One has the honor, has the distinction of being a particularly meaningless endeavor. Yeah. Consisting of countless stalemate battles between countries only fighting because of a complex series of treaties, the only thing World War One really produced of value was art about how pointless the war was. Yes. Some of the greatest novels of the 20th century came out of came from the veterans of this war, and I'm not even including Mein Kampf. Oh God. Being Americans, we are more familiar with like the English language authors, uh, you know, in their novels, *A Farewell to Arms*, *Johnny Got His Gun*, *The Always Great War Horse*. Which a little tangent, we can cut this. Um, I met 
uh, a guy who played in War Horse on Broadway. He came to speak to our theater group because our director oh. knew him. And it was fascinating because he was three people in a, in a horse costume. And someone had the front leg, someone had the back legs. And then someone, was, which was his role, was just breathing. So he literally was doing this <laughs> the entire show. And he said he would be completely drenched in sweat, would oh drink like a gallon goodness. of water at intermission, almost at halftime, during intermission, change his clothes, and then for the second act would go back. Wow. Yeah, I so it was a freaking intense role. And he had to be very consistent with his breathing and, you know, breathe more when he was, like, working. It was a very intense role. <laughs> so that's that was a job. Okay. But anyways, uh, but All Quiet on the Western Front is unique in its perspective of suffering seen on the other side, mm. the German side. Right. You know, and it's not Mein Kampf, so we can talk about it. Good. Because that's the only other German World War One book I know. <laughs> the story follows Paul Baumer and his fellow soldiers as they fight on, you guessed it, the Western Front. Paul is inspired to enlist in the war by the impassioned speeches of his teacher, promising them glory and adventure on the battlefield. But the true horrors of the war are quickly revealed to them. Day after day, Paul watches on as his comrades die in battles so insignificant they aren't even given names. Paul's psyche becomes so degraded that when he is allowed to visit his home, he finds that he no longer feels like he belongs there. It's tragic. And by 1918, the war... Though it is drawing to a close, Paul still feels no hope for the future. He has no idea what he might do once the war ends. He is a soldier, and at this point, he's not sure if he's anything else. As his company is sent back to the front lines, Paul's friends are killed off slowly, one by one. And in October, just one month before the armistice ending the war would be signed, Paul is killed in an otherwise peaceful day. The situation report back reads, all quiet on the Western Front. Damn. As one death was not worth mentioning at this point. In has what has become a bit of a trend, like we mentioned, this week we get another deep dive into a character's backstory. Uh, with this one being perhaps the most surprising, at yeah. least for me. Not many people would have suspected Jasper, the most soft-spoken of the Cullens, whose main role was calming down others, would be the participant in decades of violent wars. When he lifts up the sleeve to reveal his scar-coated arm, everything we knew or assumed about Jasper changes. But that contrast between Jasper's personality and his history, I feel perfectly encapsulates the mental contortion violence can cause on a person. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I'm done. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, and what has become... God damn it. When reading about the vampire wars, I initially thought of it as comparable to like gang violence, like rival gangs fighting for different turf. Yeah. But as the battles seemed to escalate in scale in the story, I was reminded a lot of the battles of World War One: Endless fights for minuscule amounts of land traded back and forth with nothing ever changing except for the number of casualties. Replace yeah. vampire covens with nation states and chemical warfare with and, and new machine guns with newborn vampires, and mm -hmm. you basically have World War One. Right. And they even have their own version of the draft, kind of, when they force humans into becoming their foot soldiers and dispose of them just as quickly when they're not useful. Yeah. But like Paul, Jasper wasn't actually drafted. Both men chose to fight inspired by notions of glory and honor. 
even Edward, like we mentioned, has a line saying that he was convinced with through propaganda to go and fight in a war. Right. Though I don't think he really ever saw any combat. Yeah. No, he was too young. Yeah. He died before that. And as a human, Jasper actually got that idealized version of war. A young man lying about his age to serve, slowly climbing his way up the ranks. And the last mission he served as a human soldier was evacuating civilians out of harm's way. I mean, it doesn't get much more noble than that. Very true. And all quiet on the Western Front, we see the German soldiers hardened over time. Normal, kind-hearted men become cruel and pragmatic, doing whatever they must to survive. As more and more men die in their company, the surviving soldiers take the dead man's rations for themselves. And when one soldier develops gangrene in his foot, another asks for his boot, since he's not going to be needing it. Damn. And you see how human life becomes so wasted that uh, clothing becomes more valuable than the lives themselves. Yeah. And when Jasper is transformed, he is literally turned hard and cold. Yeah. And like the battle-hardened soldiers of World War One, he is stripped of any emotion that isn't strictly needed for his survival. Mm-hmm. He becomes a killing machine, powerful and unhindered by unnecessary emotions like guilt and fear and sadness. In many ways, he is the quote-unquote perfect soldier. But even as a vampire, the endless fighting eventually took its toll on Jasper. Even for a monster, war became too much, and he he too found himself disillusioned. Mm. Though unlike Paul, he was able to escape his life as a soldier. But like Paul, he didn't know what to do with himself when he did. And so the Germans are generally considered the villains of World War One, especially after World War Two, where they were definitely the villains. Yeah. And unless you're dating one, vampires are typically not the hero of a story either. True. And I know we'd all like to date one. Hell yeah. But seeing the senseless cruelty of war from the perspective of the quote-unquote enemy in some ways makes it more impactful. Having to sympathize with your enemy forces you to step back and look at the larger picture. Well, hey, if the other side is suffering just as much as me, why are we doing this at all? Well, that's because people told them to. Mm -hmm. Be it governments, the Voltori, or even for a time Jasper himself, the choice to go to war is never made by those fighting in it. Mm-mm. As one soldier notes in All Quiet on the Western Front, if all the men in an army, including the officers, were paid the same wage and given the same food, the wars would be over immediately. Damn. And that's why these books are so important. It's because you gotta, it, it takes you there and it transforms the, the idea of what a war is and it makes it personal. And that's what really matters at the end of the day. Yeah. Because despite knowing all these horrors, we keep going on all the same. Uh, after the Great War was World War II. We had to change the name of the Great War to World War One just to keep up with how many big wars we were having. Right. And there was countless wars that followed that. And even Jasper, who knows more about the horrors of combat than anyone else in history, is preparing to fight in one once again. Damn. So I ask our audience, huh, good God, y'all. <laughs> War. What, what is, is it, it good, good for? for? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Except for killing Nazis. That one was fine. We should have done that. We should have done it sooner, arguably. <laughs> well, I think that's a good take. 
Thanks. And not bad for cobbling that together in like two hours. I liked it. <laughs> I liked it a lot. Thank you, baby. <laughs> I liked it too. I was originally going to do something different as I was kind of talking about before, but I felt I started thinking about how similar this like vampire how like useless this whole back and forth gra- territory grabs yeah. just remind me so much of like the trench warfare of world war one where right. they, they would get like 50 yards of territory and then lose it the next day and then like 500 500 fucking people died right over nothing it's over absolutely nothing yeah. yeah fuck it but anyways that's enough from me let's talk about something hopefully less intense i don't know what you're talking about so hopefully it's not world war one just tell us something we don't no. Well, okay. This week we learned a lot about Jasper's backstory. And because we learned so much of this in the book, I would actually like to focus this week on Maria, Lucy, and Nettie's stories individually. Um, and hopefully by the end we'll have all a more rounded view of this entire story. So let's first start with Lucy. She was originally from northern Texas. I don't know where specifically. Um, And she was in a coven that, for all intents and purposes, was run by her and her mate. But like many other covens in the South, they were defeated by another coven who was expanding their territory uh, to northern Texas. While her mate was killed, Lucy managed to escape. And despite losing her mate, she was still determined to have a new hunting ground and also wanted the power to keep it. Unlike what she had in North Texas, right? She wanted to go somewhere else. Let's just say it was in Denton. Sure. Well, she eventually met Maria, who had an interesting and new technique that she wanted to try for a newborn army. Lucy liked the plan and decided to team up with Maria. So, okay, now I'm going to skip over and I'm going to talk about Nettie. So Nettie is originally from Arkansas. She never had a mate. Instead, her coven was led by two older males. So she was just like a member there. Um, Eventually, though, they were killed. In fact, her entire coven was killed and she remained the sole survivor. Having been pushed out of Arkansas, she was then approached by both Lucy and Maria And she liked the idea of being in a larger coven for her safety. And she also thought Maria's plan was smart. From what it sounds like, Nettie didn't bring too much to the table. Yeah, tell me about it. She had little self-control when it came to feeding. So she was unable to, like, add newborns to their army. And, in fact, I'm really unsure what her job in the coven was. (laughs) Yeah, same. (laughs) Okay, so now I'm going to come to Maria. Uh, Maria was born in a time after Voltori wiped out most of the South, right? Mm -hmm. So that happened in the 30s, 1830s. The quote-unquote cholera epidemic. Right. Um, And she was kind of in that time shortly right after that. Her original coven consisted of her mate plus two older vampires who she considered her parents, much like Carlisle and Esme. Mm-hmm. Um, but so fucking inevitably, right, Maria lost her coven, including her mate and her parents. Um, <laughs> it's just a fucking sad story. You, you hate to see Everyone's it. Everyone's dying. <laughs> um, along with them, she also lost Monterey, Mexico, and the surrounding areas. So she wanted revenge, and she had a plan. She would team up with the other survivors, build a newborn army, but she would choose humans with combat experience, mostly soldiers. Makes sense. Um, 
and would also train them more than what was actually normal like at the time right make them do push-ups and stuff yeah exactly but it was hard to train them because you know yeah, they're, they're because crazy they're insane they're fucking yeah. wild right it's like a toddler right that um can so kill you yeah it was it was in the 1850s when she became her she began her new coven so this is 20 mm-hmm. years after right, right right um and she found jasper in 1863 Mm-hmm. And this is bravely Jasper, fighting for the South. Right. Well, this is where Jasper's skill comes in handy, right? Because yeah. he can manipulate the emotions, which means he's better able to kind of get the newborns to like listen and yeah. pay attention. You know, like focus. No, he's perfect is an emotion, for it, which is kind of ironic because it's not like a trait you would associate with a soldier. Like if no. I was like, I'm trying to build an army and I'm tracking down human soldiers to get their traits, I wouldn't expect to get one who's like highly in control of others emotions like it's very yeah. interesting that they kind of stumbled into that yeah no and and it works very well mm-hmm. and so it's perfect her coven was you know super successful mm-hmm. um and that kind of leads leads us you know where we we kind of got Jasper. yeah we kind of got right? everything from there. um however while she was there you know with jasper um you know Nettie and lucy defected and she killed them maria killed them because jasper was able to tip her off they couldn't hang i have a question for you i want you to guess who it was that first suggested to turn against maria was it lucy or Nettie? Nettie Nettie is insecure because she knows she does she adds nothing you're correct. It also, was the vampire decided. No, <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, netters. It is fucking weird, gotcha. Uh, saying Nettie, but yeah, no, this character Nettie is mm-hmm. not a great. She, she kind of sucks. <laughs> I don't like her personally. Yeah. Um, but, but your sister, I do love. She's uh, yes, great. Yes, to be clear, absolutely. But yeah, no, she sounds like a punk ass bitch. <laughs> In like the truest form. Well, yeah, because she defected against Maria. Because um, she knew she wasn't nothing. But we do know that Maria is still alive to this day. So she's yes, very still interesting. working her coven. I think mm-hmm. her idea really worked out very well. With Jasper. Well, she kind of lucked. She Jesus, did like voice broke. Yeah. She lucked out with Jasper though. Yeah, for real. But I'm sure she could find someone who can do a at least a mediocre. Would you say Jasper job? was to Maria that what Patrick Mahomes was for Andy Reid, the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs? Came from Texas, uh, supremely talented, and put into the perfect system to accentuate his talents. Yeah, I think they might have been a little bit closer. Um, I mean, Andy Reid and that Maria. Maria, okay, while well, she relied on Jasper for like his skills and his abilities, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, she she already had a mate, so there wasn't. Well, well Andy Reid already had a quarterback, Alex Smith, who actually just retired today. So okay, so that then still I works. guess I guess it works. Oh my god, it's perfect. Oh my gosh, I, I feel a new road to pretension coming along. And on that note, I'm gonna go ahead and end it there, folks. All right, that's that's it great, for babe. Us. I love that. That's Thank very you. interesting. I'm glad you you talked more about that because I was very curious of like what actually happened with with Nettie and and yeah, said Jason, Nettie, uh, Nettie and Lucy had said was like yo. I think she. I think yeah. she's getting a little too strong. She's getting too strong. We're gonna. Be... I don't think she's gonna let us have our battleground spaces. Yeah. Whatever. Let's turn on her. And then Jasper's like. And that just reverse like, card. I feel resentment coming from them. 
um, I think they're yeah. going to turn. And then Maria's like, fucking bet, and then kills them. Jasper laid down his Uno reverse card. <laughs> they portrayed them. No, you. No, no, you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you die. That's great, babe. Thank you. I, I love that. Yeah. Uh, another classic episode. I'm I can't wait banger. for next week's and in, in deep dive backstory. Yeah, we're going to be doing that we get from chapter, the book. Right, chapter 15, 16, and 17. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to like us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that jazz. Uh, you can find all the links on our website at twilightpod.com. Yeah, that's right. And if you have a question or you just want to say hi, you can message us at twilightpod at gmail.com. Our intro song is by my friend Alex Chavez. You can check out more of his music on his Facebook page. That's right. There's more than one Facebook page. Vintage, Vintage Attire, Attire music. music. And if you want Magic Spoon to sponsor this podcast, call their corporate office and demand that they give God us money. Damn it. He only said that because we accidentally ordered two shipments. I forgot I, I signed up for a subscription to Magic Spoon cereal. And, and then, then I bought, bought another box set of them. So we're about to get eight boxes of Magic Spoon cereal. But Anyways. it's great because it's low carb, low sugar. Anyways, whatever. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And as <laughs> always, remember, World War One really didn't accomplish much. And don't suck. Bye. Bye. See, if you mix the chocolate magic spoon with the peanut butter flavored magic spoon cereal, you get, you get like a pieces. little Reese's. But you know, the thing is, babe. What? That's still only two grams of carbs. That's still hey. no sugar. That's still like under 100 calories. Two grams of carbs? Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's fucking revolution, babe. How many calories? Uh, 69. <laughs> Did you fart? No. I'm just very excited. <laughs> I love magic spoon and I want him to give me free cereal. <gasps>